Hello and welcome to my series of conversations with stalwarts of music. Today's episode is being partnered by Perpetual Buzz Experiences, which is an artist representation company with three very basic but lofty goals. They help funding social causes for a lot of artists from different parts of the world and they make sure that people have a good time throughout the process. Be sure to check them out on www.perpetualbuzz.com. We have yet another partner which is Wire Up Music Store and they are one of the finest music retail stores based out of Bangalore with state of art equipment. Possibly your one-stop solution for musical gear ranging from guitars to ukulele to classical instruments and percussive instruments. Uh, check them out on Instagram. They go by the handle at the rate wireup.india. Speaking of my guest today, uh, she is a German-born Spanish-American singer-songwriter. She's got a very playful but truly a passionate spirit in terms of her vocal abilities. She's got genuine songwriting skill sets. She's a 24-year-old songwriter who's represented herself in some of the biggest musical stages in US and other parts of the world. She's played at some big platforms like the Red Rocks Amphitheater, Apollo, Kennedy Center and many more. She's done over 100 plus national shows and she's still counting. She's been quoted by Chris Martin of Coldplay uh, for one of her recent songs uh, as one of the best singer-songwriters out there. And uh, she interestingly released her all-new EP, Elegy, yesterday. And she's all set to do her uh, new international tour. So without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guest for today, Victoria Canal. Namaste, Victoria. Namaste. How are you? Good to very, see you. Very well. How are you? Which part of the world are you in right now? Uh, right now I'm in London and I'm just out, uh, uh, you're catching me in the middle of my shop for my um, tour. So I'm getting all my wardrobe today. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, I just stepped out from, from my shopping to, to speak with you guys. Uh, I, hope, I hope this is going to be worthwhile and then uh, you might probably catch on a little bit of shopping after the interview. <laughs> Definitely worthwhile. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Firstly, I'd like to congratulate you on your all-new EP, Elegy, that launched yesterday. So what do you have to say about uh, this uh, highlight in your career in terms of this new EP? Well, it's definitely a big milestone for me. It's my first uh, release on a major label. I've always been an indie baby. Um, so it feels like a step forward in that respect. It's also the first project that I've mostly self-produced. Um, and when the pandemic struck, I really sort of hunkered down and didn't delay my uh, sort of production developing skills any longer. It's just so easy to, to defer to other people, particularly men in the industry, to just do that for you. And it's like far too common to let that happen. And I definitely uh, had not pushed myself in that regard. So it felt really good to like take command as an engineer, producer and um yeah, it feels like a huge, a huge step forward creatively compared to my last project. I'm, I'm really happy to have uh, had the privilege to hear this entire uh, album, and it, it it sounds wonderful. You know, in terms of the artistic expression, I've seen I've seen a lot transcend from the musician you were over the years, right? From what you put out in 2020 to 
versus something in 2022. I see a lot of development there. So you've had a great start in terms of this entire pursuit. You're 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 really young right now, and the and the pandemic has sort of helped you discover uh, a lot in terms of your artistic abilities and a lot of self exploration during that point of time. And as a matter of fact, you've been uh, coached by Jan Smith, who happens to be one of the most reputed vocal coaches out there, uh, who has trained people like Usher, Drake, Justin Bieber, etc. And your song has been quoted by Chris Martin, like I mentioned earlier, uh, as one of the best songs ever written. Uh, you've had numerous accolades already. What prompted this young teenage girl to go and pursue her passion for music? And what was that impulse that drove you into this entire process? Um, I've just always loved music ever since I was a little kid. My my grandma uh, on my mom's side, she's from the states, from Georgia, and uh, we would visit her in the summers. And she was a piano teacher, and she also led the choir at church. Um, and I I was never particularly religious growing up, um, but. Uh, seeing the command that she would have over a room in church and seeing how music really connected people to something bigger than them felt so spiritual to me. Um, and I just loved the connection from it. I think I've always just been so eager to connect with other people. And music is like one of the most universal ways to do that. So I think it was just an impulse. I can't really explain why, but I, it's probably thanks to my grandma, to be honest. Um, yeah. Wonderful. So you've had you've had a fair stint already in terms of music, uh, and I'm sure there must have been a lot of ups and downs uh, throughout this uh, journey so far. Uh, though early on, you've already had like some amount of experience as to the same. Uh, if we were to talk about ups and downs in life, a uh, lot of us would be comfortable sharing uh, a lot of. Uh, obstacles that have come down our way in terms of, uh, you know, uh, our journey as an artist. Uh, it could be more tempting to talk about, but let's, let's set that aside. What are some of the most gratifying moments so far? Um, I'm happy to talk ups and downs whenever you like, because I feel like that's literally the life of okay. any artist and um, person, actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, gratifying moments, I think... Getting to, to meet and sometimes work with or learn from my heroes and like people that I've been listening to my whole life that I grew up listening to, that's probably one of the most gratifying things about putting myself out there as an artist. You know, it's so easy to like make things and then and then not find the the bravery or the will to put them out there. Um, and and I just think that it the payoff is really, at least for me, those incredible mentors that become like teachers, not only musically, but spiritually and like just out in life. This teacher, surrounding yourself with people who teach you about yourself and about the world, um, the way to move through it. You know, I think that's a really incredible gift. Um, and then for, as far as the downs go, I mean, yeah, it's an extremely volatile <laughs> life. Even now, I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where when you want something so bad, it just feels like it's really far away. And, you know, am I capable? Do I have what it takes to get there? Maybe, maybe not, depending on the day. 
And then the irony is, is I've met enough people now to know that once you get there, that doesn't fill you up. And then you still have a lot of self-work to do. Um, but you, but you can't really shortcut learning the lessons that it takes about like what life is really about, you know, and, and I, uh, I, I toggle between satisfied with my life as is and desperate to achieve more every single day. You know, um, it's, uh, I, I definitely like have a, uh, this deep contradiction in myself of elevated sense of like, I'm, I'm something special and, and then like zero self-worth, <laughs> you know, and those just kind of live together all, all the time. I really like the modesty, you know, in terms of uh, whatever you said. And from what I gauge, uh, to, to, to me, it seems like you've, you have this incredible quality of flow and surrender and uh, harmonizing with that flow in, in terms of your day-to-day -day life. Have, have you ever doubted what you were doing in terms of music as, a, as to its uh, value or meaning? That's a really good question. Um, I don't think I've ever doubted my underlying purpose, but I've definitely doubted my own capabilities, if that makes sense. So like, even if I'm sitting around thinking, oh my God, I'm so bad at music. I'm the worst and ugliest person alive and no one likes me and da 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 da. I think still there's some sort of North Star beneath it all that keeps me frankly alive, you know? And, um, and I think every morning, even if I wake up with like tons of depression or which is something that I deal with, like the thing that just keeps me inching forward, even if it's like a, like tiny, tiny little incremental moving forward with my day. Um, it's music. Lovely. Uh, in fact, uh, when I was going through your bio that was shared to me by your team, uh, what, from what, what I read, uh, they had quoted a lot about your music in terms of uh, how deeply personal it is to you and how emotive it has been uh, from or having listening to songs like Own Me, Pity Season, Tuan Song and a lot of your work. I'm eager to know from you, uh, you know, in terms of being an artist, does it also mean that you've got you've to gotta be an anguished soul or does uh, one need to experience a lot of sufferings uh, of humanity in more intensive ways than what a normal person would, ideally? What is your take on that? I think being a person is a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. and, and it's also a lot of catharsis and joy. I think an artist's special sort of role is putting those things into form, um, into a form that feels tangible and um, and connective. I don't, I don't necessarily. I mean, I, I will say, like every artist I've met has a little bit of a melancholy in them. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, I think every person I've met, if you really ask them their full story, everyone has, you know a generational story, a personal story, mental health um, adversities and the way that they feel like they don't fit in. Like we're all kind of a little bit more on the same page than we realize. It's just that artists maybe 
need a place to put it more than, or have found a place to put it. I think everybody kind of needs a place to put their suffering, um, whether it's through their work or through their relationship or yeah, like it could show up in any form and it's just, it's, some of us make paintings or songs and that helps us like process it. But I actually think we're all kind of on the same page in terms of what our sufferings are and what our, um, what our desires are, which is just to be understood and loved and connected, you know? But, but do you think it's, it's necessary for someone to go through that drill to probably express that better in terms of their music? Um, that's a really interesting question because you do find cases artistically where a 17-year-old write, writes like, like Adele's early material, like writing songs that you would think she's been through a lifetime of divorces and all this stuff. And, you know, and she's like not even been in a relationship yet or something, you know, she hasn't even fallen in love yet. And she writes this song. So I think sometimes it comes from some other source uh, that doesn't even have to do with like what you've been through, you know? Um, I, but to, to give like a concrete answer to your question. Um, yeah, I think, I think there, I don't know what my answer is to be honest with you, but I, I will say that there, that, Almost every single artist that I've met, there's some sort of emotional angst or anguish, and then they work through that with time, you know. And um, it's amazing to see the transformation. Like I don't, I don't think any artist wants to feel really bad, you know, to make better art. Um, but I, I do think that sometimes those deep, deep, deep emotions do bring something out of you that just wouldn't be accessible if it was smooth sailing all the time. Uh, I have another follow-up question based on what you just said right now. Uh, how can one reconcile the parts of oneself that they can't connect with and how can an artist release themselves from the self-doubt that we spoke of earlier uh, in terms of their artistic expression? Wow. Uh, I'm still figuring that one out. Um, <laughs> but I think it's... Uh, I love that that phrase from Dory from Finding Nemo. She says, just keep swimming. I love that because that's basically all you need is like, okay, maybe we will never be fully free of self-doubt because our brains are wired to protect us from danger and from threats. And so they feed us these messages that are totally ancient about uh, what position we are in, in a room, you know, like, uh, and, and I think if we just accept that that's the way that our brains, unfortunately kind of work, but just keep like hacking away at the thing, then, then you're kind of on the right path. You know, I don't think it's about getting rid of it forever because life isn't linear like that. You don't just get less self-conscious over time. You know what I mean? But you do learn more about yourself over time and hopefully come to some sort of deeper acceptance. And as soon as you can accept the chaos and the, the ups and downs of it, then maybe the closer you are to sort of maximizing your potential creatively. Got it. Uh, I'm going to speak about the present because that's, uh, that, that means uh, for a lot more relevance in terms of uh, what you're doing. Uh, 
So in terms of uh, performance, if, if we were to consider the performance side of things, most of the music and the settings that you play are acoustically oriented, right? Which can be pretty hard to amplify and can can be hard to make sound uh, good in in very in a very large space or in a very large environment, especially if you were to consider amphitheaters or arenas. So where are you right now with something like that in terms of the entire experience you're trying to give to people wherever you're playing? Well, some of my favorite concerts that I ever saw growing up were in theaters around like a thousand, thousand five hundred people or something like that. And you could hear a pin drop in the crowd. That's how dedicated and moved everyone was by either the solo performer or like the very sparse uh, music. And that's just always been the stuff that I was drawn to. So with this project, I really wanted to make stuff that I listen to, you know, that I that I love listening to. In terms of it translating live, I can I can answer that question after next week because next week my tour starts and it'll be my first time performing that music in front of a crowd that there's that's there for me. I will say that it's really tough to open a show for another artist with that music because everybody talks over it and everybody's drinking and da da da. But like this i think everyone's going to know the words and everyone's going to have listened to the music oh. and there is there for me so i'll get back to you on that um, right. but in terms of like like arenas and stuff i mean i don't know if i'll ever play a room that size but i i could see like someday playing royal Albert hall or something of that size and and that feels incredible to me because it's still a seated theater and when it's quiet it's just magical so uh, so what are the places that you'll be playing at? What which continent? And uh, is Asia going to be one of that? And is is India going to be one of that? Most important of all. No, unfortunately, there's no Asia tour on this time around. I hope yeah. soon, but this is just going to be Europe, um, UK, and US. Got it. And and how long is the duration of the entire thing? Um. Well, it's actually not that many shows. Uh, it's six shows total, and it's just in the main sort of, uh, so there's London, Amsterdam, Berlin, Paris, uh, and then and then New York and Los Angeles. And it'll, it'll last, I mean, I have a long break in between the UK, EU, and the US tour. So um, basically, I'll be on tour until the end of October. Good luck with that. Thank you so much. Will we get to hear any live content recorded as a DVD for sale of this entire experience? That's an interesting idea. I think we do definitely want to record some of it. Um, I'll mention it to my manager because that is a really good idea. <laughs> so we're in a very modern era right now. There's stiff competition in every possible field for that matter. And uh, someone like you uh, you know, having signed with one of the biggest labels in the world. How do you relate to the competitiveness in the music industry and how prevalent is competition in terms of the career that you put forth for yourself? Um, I don't really think about competition ever at all, really. I mean, I, there there is a certain sense of... Sorry, it's so loud in here. Um, there is a sense of comparativeness when you see your friends doing something that you really want to do, you get comparative. 
but I actually think that it's so much a community of like bolstering each other up and like the people that you know it's everything you know if you make friends with other artists and you're all doing the same sort of tour circuits and putting out music you know not together but at the same time it's actually really a sense of comfort and of community Mm -hmm. um so I don't I don't really feel competitive at all okay is it a guiding light or a principle that you majorly fo- focus on in terms of your artistry at this point? Um, is what a guiding light? Sorry. Uh, so do you have certain set of principles, uh, you know, in terms of your artistry right now? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think they probably overlap a lot with my principles as a human you know, kindness, empathy, inclusion, curiosity, open-heartedness, um, really just being like open to whatever comes and trying to learn and grow from other people. That, that kind of uh, gets me thinking, uh, does one need to be a good human being to, to be a good musician? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I know a couple of... of uh, amazing musicians that are that are not the best people um but i do think that karma comes back around and i think the more good energy you put out the more it comes back to you you know even if if you're a a, you know someone could reach great heights of success but if they're not a good person they're going to be very lonely once they're out there for sure uh speaking of uh your singing style uh, it, it's very unorthodox from what we see. Uh, your voice has a very unique and a distinct sound when we hear it. Uh, when you were little, you were singing and you, you practiced a lot in terms of your tonality, uh, the timbre in your voice, etc. Uh, and also it seems to me that the phrasing is, is a very key factor in terms of your music. So could you throw some light on that? Um, I don't know if I put that much conscious thought into the phrasing more so than just like saying what I need to say and it comes out in one of those ways that you can't really explain it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the vocal timbre and stuff, that's stuff that I've really been experimenting with. Actually, the way that it started was when COVID hit, I moved back in with my parents and they could hear me singing through the wall. And so I started singing a lot quieter because I was embarrassed. Um, you know, I hadn't lived at home for like quite a few years and, uh, I just didn't want them to hear me. So then I, I started recording with this quieter timbre and like having the microphone just right up here. And that felt really interesting to me. Actually, it was like an, un, uh, unwarranted or unexpected discovery. Um, and ever since then, my, my voice has changed, but I'm opening back up now and I'm, I'm trying to like be more open to belty stuff as well, because it is fun to sing. But I just used to be so much more, you know, the Christina Aguilera phase where everyone was trying to sing like that and sing runs and whatever. And, and then that got so uninteresting to everybody. And then the Billie Eilish thing, Phoebe Bridgers thing came around. And I think I kind of hopped on that train a little bit. And now I'm sort of discovering through that, you know, what it is that my, my own. Got it. So how do you respond to the changing scenario in terms of uh, the globalization of culture that we're going through at this point? Uh, there is this changing nature in terms of the structure, the form, and the approaches to music. Music just keeps evolving, like you said, right? So there have been several phases. Uh, 
people have had different uh, you know tastes in music and uh, do you in some ways you know despair its increasing commercialization that we get to hear today it's perhaps diminishing uh, its entire integrity in a very traditional sense if i could put it that way what is your take on that yeah i mean i definitely relate to that sort of overwhelming feeling or the feeling of despair that people's attention for quality has just decreased to the point where they'd rather take, you know, 10 10 second hooks on TikTok or whatever. Um I think it's like wherever you put your focus, that thing is going to magnify in your mind. And if if we if I were to sit around thinking, "Oh my god, the the industry is doomed, the music is doomed because of TikTok." Um it just doesn't help me in any way, and I think there are enough artists and enough genres that prove that there are, that the world is very big and and there are lots of people in the world who do have patience for music that is longer and slower and requires more attention to detail and things like that um it's it's just like it's the same way it's always been i think you know the the more shallow easy to swallow um more bubblegum type of stuff that's like really popular and trendy and is going to is going to do well but there's also in the meantime subcultures of all this really exciting music and and art and things that maybe aren't in the press but are still sort of bubbling under and and changing the fabric of the culture in ways that we might not even realize until 30 years from now you know so where do you where do you see music heading 30 years from now what's if you were to indulge in a little bit of futurology what 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 might be the direction of the entire uh, music space Well, if we are still here in 30 years, uh I that is such an interesting question. I have a feeling that there's going to be some sort of like anti-technology revolution that's like very off social media and off just like swinging the other way because we're basically cyborgs now and I just like I think that at some point there's going to be some big uproar about how sick of that everyone is and probably will come back to our much more local lives mm-hmm. you know and considering maybe like the environment that that we're going to be living in by then i think a lot of people are going to be growing their own food and like looking after this is a positive version growing their own food you know not flying very much not traveling very much and and probably more focused on the on the community which reminds me a lot of my my grandparents town as is like every sunday everybody goes to church and plays music all day you know like um and none of them are the are on the internet they're all really old so they don't understand it and and they're just kind of they just run into each other on the street. you know it's a very real life and i just wonder if that might be the direction that eventually all young people are going to want to head in because they're just so sick of how synthetic everything is interesting quite an interesting take Uh I'm interested to know what is your practice regime like do you have a practice regime at all right now I'm I'm terrible and have always been terrible at practicing music I, even as a kid I like didn't do my scales like I was supposed to and I I definitely am not a role model in that respect Um I I more so only rehearse when I have other bandmates to play with and then like for this tour obviously we had to do tour rehearsals but it's like kind of against my will um and but in terms of like vocal warm ups and stuff I did always because I started 
less. That's another thing that I'm, I'm really bad at it because I started lessons so early and I think I just have an aversion to like clinical ways of going about music. Um, but I'm just like undisciplined in general, I guess. Uh, what's the answer to your question? I do have vocal warmups and cool downs because that was just hammered into me from the very beginning. So I do those uh, before and after every show. But I feel you're you're a naturally gifted uh, singer, and and music runs in the blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Do you find that music, in some ways, helps you cultivate a sense of surrender, that of detachment? Because in in a lot of ways, uh, during a performance, it is essentially a sense of control, decontrol, and yet be in control. Can you repeat the first part of that question? Yeah, so do you do you feel that you can help cultivate a sense of surrender in terms of music? I mean, you kind of need to sort of detach yourself and then uh, be yeah, in control yeah, at certain absolutely. times. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the the coolest things about performing for me is just like the total it is the total surrender while I'm singing a song. And seeing where it takes me and being open to surprises. And sometimes my voice does things I didn't even know it could do and things like that. And then holding the whole crowd in the palm of your hand during the banter between songs. That's my favorite part. Almost even more than the songs. I love talking to the crowd. I love telling jokes and um, stories. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Especially when they listen. Got it. I have another question uh when I uh you know listen to your music I feel definitely the auditory sensitivity aspect of it is top notch right when it comes to your music so in terms of this process do you visualize emotions or possibly certain landscapes uh or certain events at the top of your head when you're writing or playing this music um uh yes i definitely do have visions that sort of connect the storytelling of what i'm writing like okay. usually i see the video the music video of my dreams in my head even though i never really get to make it because it's too expensive uh -huh. but uh uh i also get like color palettes and that sort of thing you know uh -huh. things that tie in that that world builds a little bit i love world -building. got it uh but uh in terms of your latest ep what was that uh you know what what was that process for you in terms of drafting out like different levels of the same you know in terms of your songwriting in uh, in terms of defining uh what is what right, in terms of the music well at first it all came just with writing the songs separately because i had um i was experienced sort of experiencing anticipating losing someone i love um who was really ill and so i was sort of just i kept writing about that and then i realized oh wow all of these fit together sort of like a story of someone finding that out and then having to share it with their kid and then the kid being like what is going on and then having to fill their fulfill their legacy and fill their shoes without recording in progress mm -hmm. and so when i um realized that all of these songs fell in an order that really made sense as a story. Then I just started sort of building out the color palette, which I wanted to have be 
um, a lot of faded grays and and blues and um, soft things, you know, and then um, the ideas with the with the videos and then as well, yeah, um, the symbolism of like the duvet on the cover and like. I just think, uh, and the duvet and the only visualizer, some of the water, like the water for Swan Song and the sort of wet look and all the press pictures have like both the wet look with the duvet and things like that. I just think that all sort of symbolize um, rebirth and also death and, um, uh, you know, a bit of that depressive sort of avoidance of just wanting to kind of wrap yourself in a blanket and not look at anything in the face. And that's the what the music is too. Like it feels like a blanket wrapping around you, I think. And that was part of the sentiment with like having those ambient sounds and things. So that was all very tied in with each other. Sounds sounds pretty intense. It must have been a lot going on. It must have been really overwhelming at a certain point in terms of all of this going on at the same time. Yeah, definitely super overwhelming. Um, but that's what the music is for. Uh, we have a lot of fans uh, who've tuned in on Instagram from uh, India and other parts of the world. Uh, they'd like to know some interesting anecdotes in terms of uh, your touring experience so far. Maybe uh, the top two highlights uh, or you know, some stories that you could share to them uh, about your experience. Um, wow. Top two stories from touring. Well, uh, one of them was I just right when I was starting out. Um, it's not so much a, a touring anecdote as it is just a great anecdote. When I was starting out and I posted videos online, one of them was Isn't She Lovely by Siggy Wonder. And uh, his daughter caught wind of it and ended up inviting me to a performance of his and we met. Oh, backstage lovely. and uh and i was introduced to stevie and obviously he's blind and obviously i have one arm and he, <laughs> and i don't think he was like given the context on who i was or anything so he sort of put his hand out to shake my hand and i just put my arm in his hand uh and he did not know what was going on he's like what on earth is this and uh i was like hey i'm victoria and i you know i covered your song da, da, da. and he was like oh my gosh i heard your song i like i heard the cover it was so beautiful keep going sweetie just believe in yourself keep going so that was like one of my favorite uh experiences and then another one uh, was, this aisha? Singing... was this was this aisha yeah in... mm -hmm. okay and then um and then the other story that I can think of is a couple of years ago, I sang backgrounds at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. um, and first of all, it was just amazing to do. Um, but also uh, at the end of the gig, like after the award show, yeah. we had been dressed in like this, all this fancy wardrobe for the performance. And then you got to give it back and get back in your sweatpants and whatever. And so I was wearing a full-on sweatsuit and I left through what I thought was the exit where I was supposed to go. But it turns out it was the red carpet um, part. And so I ended, up, <laughs> I ended up sneaking down or like kind of conspicuously hopping down the the red carpet bit where all of the celebrities were and and all of the like paparazzi people sort of put their camera down as I was walking by. They're like, who is this? 
And then I reached the end bit where all of the celebrities were talking to each other. And I was just fully, they were all fully in makeup and glam and, and so wonderfully dressed. And I was in my sweat, sweatsuit pajamas. And I was just standing there with a drink kind of waiting for my car. And it was like uh, Penelope Cruz and Mark Ruffalo and Natalie Portman and, you know, uh, Josh Gad and like all of these people sort of talking over me. And I felt like the most invisible person alive. It was like I was some sort of mole or cockroach. Um, so and, and I hated it. But it was really cool to see that many celebrities in the same place. So that's, that's my second anecdote. You were a Fulbright scholar at the Berkeley College of Music and you later studied jazz at Barcelona for uh, a short stint. Uh, you've had very firm grounding in terms of your musical foundation. What are some of the qualities of a good teacher that you now aspire for yourself? That's a great question. Um, I think what a mentor or teacher can do best is really just encourage the student to be the most themselves they can be um, and to just keep trying things and just to, to put yourself out there even before you're ready to, you know, even before you think you're ready to, because when you, when are you really ready? You know? And it, I, I honestly think, I honestly think that's um, one of the, the biggest gifts that my mentors have given me is just to say, Hey, keep doing you and do it loud. And, and time will do its thing. You know, but just stick yeah. to it and just be yourself. Yeah. Uh, you have been an activist, you know, in terms of uh, a lot of interesting causes uh, for specially abled. You you want to sort of promote their artistic abilities, and you also support the LGBTQ community. So, what are some of the essential? Uh, factors or some of the essential traits that one could possibly do to support this entire movement at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I support those two groups because I am those two groups. I'm queer and I'm, I'm disabled. Yeah. And, um, and I think one of the, the most important things that someone can do is just read about the terminology that's respectful to use and yeah the practices that we can use in our everyday lives to be more inclusive and patient with one another. Um, you know, I, I move through the world with my difference and people treat me differently because of it. And I've seen other people, you know, friends who use wheelchairs or have some other physical impediment or anything like that, that need extra assistance. And, you know, and I see, I see the patients that we, that they particularly need to move through the world because people look at them like they're less or they're not quick to assist or they're very quick to judge and pity. And I think there's just like a huge amount that needs to evolve in terms of our overall um, philosophy surrounding disability and, um, and adaptive assistance in, in our everyday life. Um, and also with queerness, it's just like with anything, I, I feel like my main, it's kind of like my main, passion is anti-bullying I just think I, I think like mean humor and being degrading and making others feel small to to make yourself feel funny even just for a moment is so harmful and so traumatizing um and I've been through my fair share of, of that abuse 
Um, so I feel really passionate about changing the fabric of how kids treat each other, but it spreads into adults as well. Bullying is very much an adult thing as well. I'm going to move towards the most interesting segment of our interview, which is the rapid fire segment. And uh, you've got to be spontaneous with your answers. You don't have that much time to think. And it's going to be a fun segment. Right? So my first question for you, Victoria, uh, what is that one song that always makes you cry? Uh, uh, fix You, Coldplay. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, on the contrary, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song? Um, Tempo by Lizzo. Uh, if someone were to come to you uh, from outer space, from a planet like Mars, uh, how would you possibly describe your music to them? Uh, I'd describe it as Are You Okay music. <laughs> great, you're doing great so far. Uh, your version of five uh, must-haves when you are doing a tour or, or any performance for that matter, for any musician. Gummy bears, AirPods, uh, a fluffy sweater, um, socks, and... Uh, uh, oh, geez. I can't come up with a quick one. Um, oh, a toothbrush. <laughs> These are like the basics. I mean, you got them. Right on. <laughs> if you had to put together an all-star modern pop band, who'd be in it? Um, Phoebe Bridgers, uh, Billie Eilish, um, Holly Humberstone, uh, Chris Martin, and Maddie Healy. Wouldn't you be part of it? Oh, no. <laughs> what would be your favorite uh, cuisine to start with? Japanese. Have you tried Indian cuisine? Uh, yeah, Indian is my second choice. So I have one last question for you, uh, which is a custom in all my interviews. Uh, down in the distant horizon, what would you want to be remembered as, Victor? Um, a kind, cuddly, uh, deep person. Lovely, lovely. Uh, as we continue to celebrate a dozen marvelous musical pieces that you have for us in the next couple of years, and of course you've displayed incredible showmanship in all your performances, and you've had impeccable vocal abilities and uh, lovely songwriting skills, which sort of uh, projects a very rich and intense life that all of us in India and other parts of the world sort of await to watch. Uh, thank you so much for giving me this privilege. And uh, this interview will be additionally aired on Big FM, Shillong and Azol, two major radio stations in India, on the Sunday show between 5 to 6 p.m. And it is also going to be part of my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stalwarts of Music with Aditya Veera. I'll be sure to share, the, share these links with you once they're out. You can, you can also share it with your fans. And uh, I hope to stay in touch with you. And I'd love to have you in India very soon. I would love that too. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really, really fun interview. Thank you. Thank you so much for the privilege. Take care and, and have, a, have a nice time shopping. Bye-bye.
拜。